Motivation plays a huge part in our productivity, and if you feel demotivated, it can be a huge struggle to just get the basics done each day. So this week, I'm chatting with Wesley Jackson, the host of the Surviving Humanity podcast, that tries to shift people's perspectives on how they can overcome obstacles in their lives so they can move forward and prosper. Now, Wesley speaks from experience where he describes what being demotivated feels like. He also lets us know what we should feel like when we're motivated as well. We also talk crap jobs, surrounding yourself with positive people and how listing our accomplishments can help us grab a little bit more energy to get things done. There's a link in the show notes to Wesley's podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and subscribe to this podcast as well, of course. Let's get to it. Hi, Wesley. Hey, John. Thanks for doing this. I appreciate it. Are you feeling motivated for a podcast? I am ready. <laughs> ready to go. That's uh, good to hear. Um, I'll tell you what, give us 30 seconds to tell us about yourself, who you are, and what you do, starting about now. So hello to all the listeners of the Triple T podcast. My name is Wesley Jackson, and I like to think of myself as a survivor, a fighter, and a storyteller. I run Surviving Humanity LLC, along with my longtime friend, Andrew Gilly. And we help people shift their perspectives on how they can overcome the obstacles in their lives so they move forward and prosper. I've seen some rough times and I've dealt with complex family dynamics in the past while facing various mental health challenges. But through it all, (laughs) damn, damn, where's your website? Where's your podcast? (laughs) Yeah, you can find me uh, on survivinghumanity.net. Fantastic. What I'll do is put a bunch of links in the uh, show notes so folks can can tap on those. It's good fun, that is. 30 mm-hmm. seconds, is it? For some folks, 30 seconds is like a really, really, really long time. And for <laughs> others, it's like, it's like five seconds. <laughs> That's what it felt like. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Nothing like a little bit of pressure to get us get us going. Um, sort of like motivation. We're going to talk motivation and, and kind of the, the things that that make us feel motivated and unmotivated. A lot of the things happening around us affect that, don't they? Totally. Explain kind of like a little bit about how you think what being motivated actually feels like. So when I think about motivation, it feels like a sense of purpose or let's call it a drive that you really feel stirring you from within. And uh, to imagine it, it's like waking up with the sun. The sun is shining. (laughs) You're ready to start the day with full of energy and zest. And it's that spark that really pushes you to get up and out of your own bed and, you know, look at the mirror and say, okay, Wes, it's time to face the day. We have a mission to accomplish. And so I liken motivation to this kind of inner fire that keeps burning even when times get tough. And it can serve as the fuel, so to speak, that powers our journey towards our goals, dreams and aspirations. It sounds like a perfect world. How many people do you think actually feel like that? Oh, man, that's hard. Mm. to. If I had to really put a number on it, unfortunately, not too many. Yeah. Do you think it's a personality trait? 
Um, no, I would say motivation is something that can be kind of learned and thus internalized within the character. So, so even if you think you're kind of like an unmotivated person, do mm -hmm. you think you can become motivated? Absolutely. Speaking from my own experience with clinical depression, I did not want to do anything each mm. day for a, quite a long time. All I wanted to do was when I woke up was go back to sleep. Um, so I was at the peak of demotivation at that point in my life. And I feel like if I can come back from that, then anybody else could as well. Yeah. So we've described what motivated feels like. Describe what unmotivated feels like. So being unmotivated, um, I would say it's the exact opposite, right? It creeps up on you kind of like this fog that's blurring your sight. And it makes your goals that were suddenly in the front of your mind they've become distant or even unattainable. And um, I've, like I said, I've experienced demotivation from my depression as well as my childhood trauma. But I think that identifying the reasons behind our, demot our demotivation is crucial. So it's kind of like trying to find the root cause of, let's say like some sort of persistent pain within the body. It's the exact same process. Yeah. When I've had moments in my life that I, when I felt like that, I felt like a it's been like a little bit like brain fog. Would you agree? Totally. I think it's exactly the same as brain fog. Uh, but the, but it's brain fog that doesn't tend to go away, right? Yeah. Because I think I think a lot of folks, when they say, oh, I'm not very motivated today. I mean, I felt like it on Saturday. I woke up on Saturday morning and I could have just sat there and watched the cricket all day long on TV. Mm -hmm. And I was not motivated to do anything. But I did. I got up and I did things and I went out and I did stuff. That's not really being unmotivated, is it? I suppose not. Yeah, it is a more persistent kind of chronic symptom, let's call it. I think there's level. Do you think there's levels of it? There's levels of, mo of of feeling unmotivated. And there's a point where it becomes almost dangerous in a way. Yeah, I, I would say you're right that there are levels to it. it. Kind of like how you can have, just like you said, you know, maybe once every so often on a Saturday, you don't feel like getting out of bed and you just want to watch cricket all day. Hmm. Let's call that, you know, level one, so to <laughs> yeah. speak. Yeah. Right. It's not it's not interrupting with your like daily processing and your social life or things like that. It's not really interrupting your health either. It's just something that you feel every once in a while. But once we take it a few steps further, it can really just turn your life upside down on its head. And all of a sudden you are, you know, avoiding social engagements, you're avoiding obligations and duties at work. And it's, uh, it's a definitely a slippery slope, I would yeah. say. Yeah, I was I was recording a podcast a little earlier today with somebody, we were talking a lot about self analysis, mm -hmm. analyzing ourselves and, and how we behave and what we do and, and, and these sorts of things. Do you think maybe a little bit of self analysis could, could help folks identify what the reasons are? Yeah, with emphasis on a little bit, because if you do too much, you can kind of get stuck mm. in this demotivating negative thought feedback loop that you were trying to get out of in the first place. Sure. Yeah, because if you because your brain isn't is possibly not working in the most rational way, you're probably mm -hmm. thinking some somebody else will probably give you a better idea on what's going on. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So, so, so how do we how do we kind of go about figuring out what the reasons are? For, for feeling demotivated? Um, so I found personally to track on a daily basis these certain tendencies to procrastinate, for example. Uh, I personally love to use um, a web app called Virtue Map, right. um, which really helped me with this in particular. 
And that basically forced me each day to answer a handful of questions about what I may have procrastinated on and then the reasons that I am giving for it. And a lot of the times the reasons that we give for not doing something when we're feeling demotivated are kind of not very strong reasons. For example, if I just feel too tired to do something, I can use that excuse so often mm. that it doesn't really mean much anymore. Yeah. And uh, that kind of really helped. I didn't really realize that, though, until I started to track how often I would use. I don't have the energy to do something as an excuse to not do it. And that was like my number one reason that I kept giving to myself for not doing things. Mm. And once I kind of realized that that was an issue and it wasn't the fact that I feel like I'm tired, it's the fact that I think I cannot do things because I'm tired, which is obviously not true. I mean, we can function as a human with very little sleep for, you know, quite a while, honestly. And so I, I kind of, that kind of really brought me out of my own head and back into the more objective reality of, oh, just because you're tired, Wes, doesn't mean that you can't do something. Yes. Yeah. I, yeah. I was talking to somebody a few weeks ago who, who actually gets worried that they don't get eight hours of sleep, right? Mm. So, so they monitor their sleep. Uh, and if they don't get eight hours, they actually worry all day that they can't do things because of the fact they didn't get eight hours sleep. I could really relate to that. I used to have a smartwatch and I used to track my own sleep and my heart rate and things like that. And I found myself actually creating more anxiety, just like uh, this person that you mentioned said, when I started to trace everything back to a number. Yeah. Do you th do, so, so that goes back to the self-analysis, I suppose, doesn't it? Do you think self-analysis could be a bad thing? Totally. It can totally end up, you, it, I mean, just like anything, right? Too much of a good thing can become a bad thing. One of the things I do on the podcast is ask the same three questions to everybody who comes along. And the, and the first question is, uh, what is kind of like your number one productivity tip? The one thing that kind of like you would say to everybody? What is it? it would definitely be chunking the concept of chunking which is breaking down your tasks into smaller manageable chunks this makes almost any job less daunting and it gives you this sense of accomplishment most importantly as you complete each part and that is a way that you can kind of manufacture and set up this consistent boost of motivation that you feel after completing each little part of this large project for example yeah, I like the idea of that. Yeah, I do. do. Do you use any tools or anything to be able to split these things up? I mean, is there a process you stick to? I personally religiously use Todoist, which mm. is a, an app. Do, do you find you work better when you're dealing with the little tiny chunks? Is it like assigning small amounts of time, do you think? Uh, yeah, I like to tie it to the Pomodoro technique. So I'll do 25 minutes uh, on the small on a small chunk of a task and then I'll take a five-minute break. And then you repeat that three more times until you're on your fourth Pomodoro, and then you get to take a 15-minute break, which is when I'll usually take a walk or read a little bit of a book. Yeah. And how does that make you feel when you've, when you've done that, when, you've, when you've, you've had a bit of a rest? Does it re-energize you a little bit? Totally. It helps me keep myself inside like the flow state, so to speak. And so it doesn't make it feel like I'm working so much as opposed to just getting things done yeah because I, I think if you go on linkedin and you spend five minutes there the mm. idea of productivity is doing more stuff isn't it <laughs> yeah 
<laughs> and Definitely. That's, yeah, and that's not necessarily the right thing, is it? No. If I overload my uh, to-do list on a daily basis with too many tasks, it actually ends up having the opposite effect for me because I feel like I didn't get enough done. Even if I got, let's say, 20 tasks done, but I had 30, I will feel like I didn't get enough done. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a huge believer in that, to be honest with you. I split things around. I probably have six or seven things on my task list each mm -hmm. day, and that's it. And it's manageable. I can do that. So when I actually finish it, I feel as if I've done something. <laughs> exactly. And that feeling is what keeps us going. Yeah, because if you've got 30 things on there and you do six and you look at the, tw the, the 20 you haven't done, it's like, oh, stress time again, isn't it? I think it also exemplifies the power of visualization. Yeah, I think that's that you're absolutely right. How can we kind of overcome the feeling of, of being demotivated? Do we have to identify the real reasons, do you think? Mm, not necessarily, I would say. I think it more so requires patience, uh, self-compassion, and often a little help. Um, personally, for me... Uh, I, I talk therapy really benefited me in particular since my core like reason for being demotivated was depression. Mm. And so it gave me a space where I could unravel my feelings with the help of a professional. And uh, like you said, I was able to understand what was at the root of my struggles through that. Not always necessary, but I do find it benefits a lot of people to kind of have a why behind things. Um, but I would say even more so than that, I found a huge amount of motivation and purpose um, when I founded my student organization, USD Esports, back during my university times. Mm. And this is what really brought me a sense of joy and accomplishment, which acted as a huge counterbalance to these feelings of demotivation that I was feeling at that same time. And so I think, you know, in order to feel motivated, we first need to acknowledge our feelings of demotivation without judgment and realize that it is okay to feel low at times. That's mm -hmm. just part of being human. And then I think that's when we can take the next step to begin to consider ways to actually cultivate motivation from there. And for me, that was acknowledging my own unique strengths and talents. Uh, I relied a lot on NLP techniques, which is neuro-linguistic programming. Hmm. For example, one in particular that really helped me in this realm was the concept of a greatest hits list. And that's right. where I just basically created this, you know, a, a sticky note, essentially, in digital form within Google Keep. And I uh, listed every single one of my accomplishments throughout my life, no matter how big or small. And when I'm feeling uh, a lack of self-confidence or like I can't do something, I will refer back to this list now uh, during those darker times, and it really helps with an like, kind of instant pick-me-up. I like that idea. Yeah, because most of us have, have accomplished things during our lives, no matter how small or how big. I mean, it doesn't have to be a massive thing, doesn't it? They are accomplishments. And I like that if you write them down, you can look at them, and it, that would definitely motivate you, wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, do you think most of our jobs are, are kind of, well crap and, and, <laughs> and, and boring as hell and we work off tick boxes and we don't get to use our brains and our, our own ideas and our own thoughts anymore. Do you think having a full, a worthwhile job helps? I think it can really help people if, if you're not, because if you're not getting a sense of meaning and purpose through your job, you have to try to squeeze that in elsewhere outside mm. of those hours. And, you know, there, we don't have many of those to ourselves 
outside of the eight hour workday, for example, with commute, you know, making dinner or eating dinner outside of that as well. Um, so yeah, I would totally agree that having a job that it, you are passionate about or gives you at least a sense of fulfillment yeah. is really important for most people. Yeah, I think feeling fulfilled myself is very important. I speak to a lot of freelancers um, when I'm doing productivity training and uh, and other things. And, and the reason, pretty much all of them, the reason they became a freelancer was because the jobs they were doing were rubbish. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I can't keep doing this. This is just literally going to drive me mad. (laughs) Yeah, I can relate as someone who works for themselves. And and when you work for yourself, you can, in a way, to a certain extent, choose the work that you actually get, can't you? So you can make the work more interesting, I think. Totally. And the ability to say no to things is very empowering. The second question I ask everyone is, um, what's the best piece of life advice you've ever been given? The best piece of advice? You know, it could have been from a teacher, a mentor or somebody. What's the, the best thing? So I don't know who I first really heard this from, but the best piece of advice that I was ever given was that it's okay to not be okay. Mm. And this has been a cornerstone for me in my journey of self-acceptance and healing, and especially in regards to motivation and demotivation. Because like I said, there's that first step where you have to first acknowledge that you are demotivated or unmotivated and then just realize that that is okay and something that will always happen every now and then. It's it's impossible to expect us to live out the rest of our lives not ever feeling a single modicum of demotivational like feeling or thought for the rest of time. Yeah. It's just not it's not realistic. I like that because I I, I hear a lot on social because I'm old so <laughs> and I hear a lot on social media of things that like people saying it's okay to be you right so yes. so if you feel terrible and you feel awful at the all the time that's okay whereas my attitude is no it's not okay <laughs> <laughs> and I like this idea of it's okay not to be okay that's kind of switches it around a little bit doesn't it mm-hmm Yeah, it makes you feel a little bit better. And I think it makes also people feel a little bit less alone because when we're, you know, in a hard, when we're stuck between that proverbial rock and a hard place, it can be very isolating at times. And you can feel like your, your, your struggles are completely unique and your own. Mm -hmm. And thus you can't really relate to other people and you kind of like block yourself off mentally from other people's advice. And I think that this one simple phrase kind of can serve as a really powerful catalyst to undo a lot of that negative thinking. Yeah. Do you think social media plays a part in this, in making people feel rubbish some of the time? Uh, yes, definitely. As someone who has worked in the back end of it for years with my own digital marketing work, mm-hmm. uh, I would say that the fact that you can now just open up this little brick, a.k.a. a smartphone, out of your pocket and flip to a social media app where all you're seeing is people having fun constantly, I think Mm. it can really construct this um, notion of a reality that doesn't actually exist. And it's a reality where you think that everyone else is having fun except for you. I I heard somebody describe it not uh, a few weeks ago on one of the other podcasters. Uh, Social media is like everybody's highlight reels. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Definitely. It's only the good bits, only the nice bits. And it's all staged as well. You know that, don't you? Mm-hmm. Do you think this is bad for us? Uh, yes, I would say in that regard, it is objectively bad 
for us. It creates a fear of missing out. It creates uh, completely um, altered expectations that aren't in line with the reality of the world outside of the screen. And this, hence, is one of the could be one of the factors that makes you feel less motivated to do things. If you think to, if if all you're seeing is kind of like the success in the life, and I made one million dollars in five minutes because I'm a genius, sort of thing. Mm-hmm. If that's all you're seeing all day long, then when you go to work and you just earn your twenty dollars for an hour's work or something, or your your ten pound an hour or something, you're gonna feel ah, what's the point? Yeah, it causes you to give up before you even start. Yeah, it's not good. They should ban social. Do you think they should ban? Should they ban? I don't know. I don't know about a straight up ban, but I think definitely somehow limiting time spent on it would be good. Yeah. Well, our phones just like automatically get turned off or something. When (laughs) I would honestly appreciate that. (laughs) Yeah. I've I find myself getting exhausted with social media, which is why about a few years ago, I I I removed a lot of the apps from my phone. Mm-hmm. I, I was reading through stuff on Twitter, on Instagram, LinkedIn, and I, and I actually found myself becoming exhausted by it. I, I actually, the feeling inside me went, oh, God, not again. Yeah, I also uh, did the same as you. I've removed the social media apps from my phone. I only uh, reinstall them when I need to, like, post a story, for example. Yeah. Um, making changes it's kind of hard, isn't it? We, we, we don't like change, I don't think. I think most of us like habit and routine. I think a lot of us do. Um, so how do we go about kind of making changes that would lead to us feeling motivated? So I think it's important to understand the nature of change. And it's not some, you know, change that is sudden and huge often does not last. So I like to say that, you know, change is challenging, yes, and it's something that is best uh, when it happens slowly over time. And so imagine it's like trying to turn a huge ship in the sea. It doesn't happen instantly. It doesn't turn on a dime. And so I think what really helps is identifying what you need to change. And so, for example, I realized my own um, like bad habits that I was using as maladaptive coping mechanisms. And so by identifying that in the first place, what I needed to change, that's how I was able to then take step two, which is creating a plan and then sticking to it. And so I think what's also important to remember during this process of changing yourself is that you need to be patient with yourself mm-hmm. and understand that change is a process. It doesn't happen overnight. And I think something that can really help us in this regard is surrounding ourselves with positivity and people, more importantly, who support you and uplift you. I think that's really important myself, genuinely important. As somebody who who has been in a situation where I've been, I don't know how to describe it, maybe dragged down mm-hmm. yeah, by, by the other people around you, from being an, an ultra-positive person to not being one, uh, the people around you, I think you you do need to look at them, don't you? Yeah, you are uh, who you hang out with. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's a horrible thing to have to do, isn't it, sometimes? Just say, you know, I'm not going to spend as much time with that person. It is definitely, when people are going through like this process of change and personal growth, it causes a reaction in people, whether that is good or bad. And, you know, oftentimes it, the uh, more bad reactions will actually come from people who are closer to you because they are more attached to you. And so if someone's very attached 
to the concept of who Wes is at this current moment, for example, Mm. it will be harder for them to adapt to change within Wes, for example. Yeah. Do you think getting a third party involved could could help identify some of the things that need changing? Mm. Yes, definitely. Whether it's a therapist or a coach, I think having an objective kind of observer with an outside perspective that doesn't really have much of a stake or a dog in the race of that is your own life can really help you more so, so uh, oftentimes more so than a really close friend could because a lot of the times people are very afraid of hurting each other's feelings even mm-hmm. if they're like very close best friends for example yeah and i can find that can lead to um a little bit of dis in, uh, disingenuous uh, interactions sometimes where if you don't want to hurt somebody's feelings when they're asking you what can they change in their life to be like a better person and you kind of take it too easy on them and you don't really tell like the full impact of what their behaviors are having on you or others around their lives for example mm. i think it can lead to this false notion that it's not as not as big of a problem and that they don't need to change as much as they really thought they did in the first place do you think listening to thing, things like like podcasts and and YouTube videos and things like like yours do you think that helps can, can that be a third party person uh, loaded question yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would say yes please listen to our podcasts like the Triple T Productivity <laughs> podcast and Surviving Humanity a self-help yeah. podcast um I mean it doesn't have to be podcasts per se any sort of content whatever you prefer whether it's video audio or written uh, surrounding yourself with that, it it's really hard for it to do bad. Um, but, you know, like I did say, I'll play devil's advocate here. Too much of a good thing can be a bad thing. So mm. if all you're doing is consuming the content but not actually acting on it or embodying it, uh, I am honestly guilty of this in the past. Mm. I read so many books before I actually did anything with my own personal growth. Um, it can just get you stuck in that same state of analysis paralysis yeah i'm with you on the books i'm i've i've started like you know motivational books and i don't know what you call them self-help books motivation books productivity books whatever and i I usually within about half an hour just pick up a stephen king it's (laughs) like do you know what i mean it's like i just rather read something for fun (laughs) i can totally relate as someone who was only reading um you know non-fiction books and especially within the self-help genre for Mm. so long i really grew tired of it and i felt like i eventually kind of heard almost anything that has already been said because of the amount that i read because you know there's only so much that you can really talk about within the realm of self-help and self-improvement that it eventually does get a little bit redundant especially if you're already embodying a lot of these things that you're learning yeah but i think it's the context that's important isn't it because the, even if the message is exactly the same uh, the context that the different people put in put that that content in will help different people yes totally i think uh everybody has their own preference basically and everything has something different that works for them and and this is no different in this case The final question I kind of ask everybody is, what's your secret procrastination? Because everybody procrastinates, even if they don't (laughs) admit it. Everybody wastes a little bit of time when they're meant to be working. Um, What do you do to kind of kill some time? Let's see. 
So I'll, I'll be, play devil's advocate again and say that it's actually two sides of a coin here. So my secret procrastination is video games. And so this mm. is actually the very thing that led me into like the realm of addiction originally. And mm. now it's actually kind of been turned on its head and not just through USD Esports, my student organization in the past, but nowadays it's actually a sort of retreat for me because I play much more responsibly now. And so it gives me a break from the everyday, you know, hustle and bustle. And it gives me also a chance to connect with my friends back home uh, socially in a fun and engaging way on a semi-regular basis. But I'm no longer playing for, you know, four hours mm. and cutting cutting into my sleep schedule just so I can play more games, for example. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I mean, I always think procrastination is kind of like your brain and your mind telling you that you need a little bit of a rest. You know, that's a good point. I've never really thought about it like that, but I honestly think you're right. But I think you can procrastinate forever. Definitely. <laughs> I think the key is to be mindful of when that kind of gets over that tipping point and goes into the procrastination territory and out of the rest zone. Yeah, I, I suppose having goals kind of works into that as well, doesn't it? Because if you've got a, if you've got some sort of a goal or some sort of a deadline or something to work to, even if it's a made-up deadline that you've made up yourself, then it, it, it can sometimes, I suppose, maybe help stop the procrastination a bit. Yeah, I find having def clear and defined goals that are within view of you on a mm. semi-regular basis or ideally constant daily basis. For example, sticky notes on the wall behind your desk. And if you just put one goal each year, for example, and always have that in your vision every day for eight hours a day, I think it's impossible to forget it and to ignore it in that case. And it gives you something to work towards. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, it's been a fascinating chat. I could talk for ages about this. Um, <laughs> Wesley, uh, tell me, where can we find the podcast again? Where we can find you? Where are you? So if you want to learn more about me or my story and the work that we do at Surviving Humanity, you can visit our website, which is survivinghumanity.net. Or you can also follow me on social media by searching for Wesley Jackson SH on the platform of your choice. Fantastic. What I'll do is I'll put a bunch of links in the show notes so folks can just um, tap on those straight away and, um, and get there. Uh, Wesley, thanks ever so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much, John. Thanks again to Wesley for his time. Don't forget to check out the links in the show notes. If you've enjoyed the episode, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, Google. It's everywhere. Uh, just search for the Triple T Productivity Podcast. Thanks for listening.